Hello and welcome to At Home With, a podcast from the residential business at Knight Frank. At Home With offers a glimpse inside the lives of some of the world's foremost property experts. And every week you'll be hearing conversations with agents from across our business about how they made it to where they are today, how they found their dream homes and how we can help you find yours. I'm your host, journalist and social media executive at Knight Frank, Rebecca Hills. Today, I'm joined by Tim Hyatt, our head of UK residential. Tim and I'll be chatting about the highs and lows of his career, his most exciting property sales, and what it really takes to make it in the world of real estate. Tim began his career back at Foxton's in 1991 before moving to Knight Frank 11 years later and rising up the ranks to become head of lettings, head of London residential, and now head of UK residential. Tim, it's a pleasure to welcome you onto the podcast. Hello, Becky. Nice to be here. How are you doing today? How are you faring with everything that's going on at the moment? Uh, I think I'm just about getting there. It's Look, it's a whole new world, isn't it, for everybody, all the listeners to, to this particular podcast and many, many hundreds of thousands of other people out there uh, around the world. My, my, my life, or if you spoke to my wife, she would describe my life as dull. Uh, because she looks at me through a, a glass door and all she ever sees is people on the screen in front of me that I'm speaking to by Microsoft Teams. But um, uh, no, learning learning by the day in all sorts of different ways. And I suppose it's trying to adapt to this new normal while simultaneously trying to retain a semblance of, of normality so that when we do go back to the office and get back to the the pre-COVID way of working life that we haven't completely forgotten how to do it and we can't fit back into those those traditional styles of working. Sure. But, you know, off the back of it, I, I think there have been some things that have been uh, fast-tracked in terms of everyone's learning curve. You know, the fact that you can communicate um, over the internet by people very effectively. You can get groups of people together. I had a, a, a call today with uh, 60 people from the leadership team from across the country. Uh, and it was a serious enough meeting where they would normally uh, come from wherever, be it from Edinburgh or, or Sirencester, to our office at 55 uh, Baker Street, our, our, our HQ. But that would have been, from a productivity uh, perspective, they would have been out of their offices for the entire day. We had a concise, short, sharp meeting in an hour and a half. It was great fun. We had little breakout rooms. And actually, those people then could go straight back to their day job rather than having to commute or, or, or take time out of their working day. So that's, from a productivity perspective, that's just one example of where there's a really positive upside to some of the things that we're learning during the lockdown. And I think we will learn a lot, not just about working styles from this, but also about people using more digital platforms, engaging more with social media, just kind of diversifying the platforms from which they engage with clients and customers and within the business itself. Yeah, I'm a, I, I am moving from being a social media dinosaur uh, to somebody that recently, I mean, I'm, I've just turned 51 um, and I, I get it now and I get the importance of communicating to, to a whole new audience in a, in a very different world. If you said to me that uh, I was going to be doing a podcast three months ago, I'd probably be saying, really? Uh, but, but, you know, here, here we are. So let's take it back to the start. I'd be really interested to know what it was that drove you to pursue a career in property initially. Fluke. Uh, I had been uh, growing up too quickly. Uh, I didn't go to university. Um, I, I was working when my parents moved to London. I was 16. I did a Saturday job working in a retail outlet called Tyrac. Um, it was a men's ties and ladies scarf shop. 
Uh, I was doing uh, Saturdays only, paying off my overdraft that I was beginning to accumulate even at the young age of sort of 16, 17. Had a chance to go to university, but also um, got an opportunity to stay with Tyrek, work full time, uh, which I accepted. And within six months, I was relocating to Paris to open their European network of franchises. Uh, you know, almost just after my 18th birthday. So I was growing up very quickly. And then I came back after a year in Paris, spent a lot of time uh, working there, became the operations director. And I suddenly said to myself, I'm 21 years old. I'm growing up way, way too quickly. And I was falling out of kilter from a mindset with my mates. And so I went traveling. I went back to where I was born. I went back to South Africa, uh, to Cape Town, travel around South Africa with a mate of mine. And then I came back, needed some some cash. Uh, property's been in my family for decades. Uh, my father was a country house director at Man Co, which back then in the time was a very similar business to Foxton's. Uh, I got an interview with John Hunt. It lasted, I think, less than three minutes. Uh, he said to me, are you good? And I said, I don't know, but I'll give you my best try. And I started the next day and then ended up spending 13 years at Foxton's. And in those early years, what were the biggest skills, biggest lessons that you learned? The thing that I learned then, all, the, all that time ago, that is still very much in play now is, is consistency in terms of having a pattern for your working day. Um, and if you flight between sort of dodging around and not sticking to the fundamental basics of, first of all, getting into the office, setting up your team for the day, discussing what's relevant, you know, be it keys, boards, instructions, marketing, whatever it might be, then getting onto the phone and actually speaking to the people that's the most important. If, if you don't do that in a disciplined way, uh, you won't develop the same sort of results. So I think discipline is absolutely what we still need to and still install now in, in the teams that we have in London and across the business. And is that discipline that structure that kind of personality type innate to you or was there a particular incident that made you realize that you needed to start actively working on installing those values and those disciplines within your life academically was i disciplined when i was at school no not really uh was i a bit of a jack the lad yes i probably was um did it sort me out um yes it probably did it certainly got my mindset sorted out uh, it got me focused into the importance of, um, as I've said it, you know, into the importance of discipline and standards and maintaining those standards. Um, second you let those drop, everything falls to bits. And something we have at Night Frank to help equip our people with the skills they need to succeed and maintain those standards is our CX one-to-one program. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about this and discuss what sort of personalities you think people need in order to succeed in this industry. CX one-to-one, Becky, that you just alluded to, is is our is our mantra for residential. It, it stands for customer service and the one-to-one bit means that we've been around for 121 years. That's slightly out of date. We've been around for 123 years or 124 years. It's our 125th year anniversary uh, next time, next year. But we have really put a lot of time and effort into our training, uh, especially over the last two years. We've got a great team led by uh, the wonderful Michael Pagnotta, who's effervescent with enthusiasm and energy, as are his training team. But I think there are two types of training. There's a, there's a sort of training where you're talking about various stages that we've got, which is cultivate, captivate, and elevate. And there are lots of different skill sets that, that come with that about really getting to understand people. But also, aside from that, I don't think there's any better 
way of training people than people that are really in the know, people that are living and breathing uh, their day jobs, people that are really successful. And actually, you find that the really successful people are quite shy. Uh, they, they, they don't like the idea of having to stand up on stage and, and say why they are good at what they do. But if you can get them to do it, they are top draw stuff, top draw stuff. Uh, and, and they are, you know, they're ambassadors, but they, they are exemplary in terms of what they do. And they are so motivating for, for younger people coming up through the ranks. So now just over a month into your new role as head of residential, and you've taken over at a unique time in both the firm and the world's history. How have you found navigating the business through these market headwinds? The most exciting thing about this is that if I ever get to write a book, I think my my opening chapter will be quite an interesting one because it will say, as I said to my kids on the Sunday just before I started, they said, Dad, you know, you are you seem pretty busy today and it's a Sunday. And I said, kids, I'm just about to start my new job. And they said, OK, OK, all right. Well, that's great. Good good luck. What, what, what's going on? I said, I think I'm just about to have to close down 61 offices across the whole of the UK tomorrow when, when I first start. Uh, and I went, oh, that doesn't sound very good. Uh, and, and that, that you know, give or take a couple of weeks, that was that's how I started things. It was um, completely in at the deep end. I was very lucky. Uh, that the person that I replace, um, uh, Andy Hay, uh, Andrew Hay, had been in the partnership for 37 years. And, you know, if you look back on some of the earlier conversations we were having about uh, work ethic, uh, there were plenty of disciplines that I learned from Andy. He was an incredibly focused person. Um, you were there to deliver uh, in every request that was made of you. Uh, if you did, uh, he would uh, he would open up the doors to you as he did with me. Um, he was a brilliant sponsor for me in terms of me getting the job, and I was uh, apprehensive about the handover uh, about the, how the handover was going to go. Um, but to give him his dues, um, he was so uh, helpful and supportive uh, in the three to four months leading up to his departure. Really horrific time for him you know imagine working in a business for 37 years giving your heart and soul to everything uh, and then not even being able to have any leaving parties or be able to say goodbye to anybody uh, because it we then went into lockdown it was really hard as we record now it's friday the 15th of may and earlier this week it was announced that estate agencies and property companies can resume business as normal albeit in a modified and socially distant way how have you found preparing to reopen and get people back to working in the offices? I was walking the dog uh, with my daughter on Tuesday night. Um, I got a tip off. There were rumours that we were going to be uh, receiving an announcement from government to reopen. Um, I spoke to somebody relatively senior and within a government organisation who confirmed it. Um, the guidelines came out at midnight. I was up at sort of 5.36 o'clock on Wednesday morning to, to have a read through what was there. Uh, we met as a business response board at 7.30 uh, and off we went. I mean, we've been working on the strategy about how we were going to go back for, for two or three weeks. So we lined up, you know, what sort of level of staffing we felt comfortable about getting back into the offices so we didn't overload people. 
Um, we've got sensitivities that we had to put in place in terms of the arrangements about public transport. Um, we've had to follow the guidelines to, to, to the dot, which is absolutely right. So we've had to orchestrate getting PPA equipment for, for our offices. Uh, we've been uh, publishing guidelines, digi digital uh, training for our teams in terms of checklists. You know, on Wednesday, on Wednesday morning, we were probably thinking well, on Tuesday night, we were not going to be open for at least another two or three weeks. So uh, were we caught uh, short? Probably slightly. But again, it just it just goes to show the resources of skills that we have within the business uh, and the amount of time and effort that people have put into making sure that this is right. So we're going back with a bunch of people that feel really informed, they feel safe, they feel comfortable. And when you set it up, it's a little bit like the, the, the previous question. If you're, if you're looking after your, your people properly, they will naturally pass on that sentiment, that will, that encouragement, that sensitivities uh, to our customers. Uh, so everyone wins. So it's been, um, every day has been uh, different. Uh, every day has been sort of shattering for, for everyone involved. Most people have been doing at least 12-hour days back-to-back -back on Microsoft team calls. Um, but as ever, we've got through it. We've lived another day. Uh, we wake up in the morning and, and we start all over. It's so great to hear that the firm is adapting so well to what's going on at the moment and that as head of residential, you're almost taking it in your stride and dealing with each day as it comes. But I'd be interested to know, if you've suffered with any imposter syndrome or anxiety, especially admits what's going on at the moment. I am a, I am a sort of guy that uh, normally constantly beats myself up and I'm never good enough at doing anything. Uh, under this particular uh, environment that I seem to be working in, uh, I know that um, I've given it my best shot um, and I know how hard I'm working. I know how hard other people are working within the partnership. Uh, and I have the strength and belief to think that if I've got my management team around me uh, who are on side and delivering things that I'm asking them to help me with, that's all I can ask. And they have been doing that in bucket loads. And we are all seem to be going in the right direction. And, uh, you know, if I've got anybody filling me with that sort of sense of reassurance and confidence, uh, it's the people around me um, and I will continue to give it my 100% all until somebody tells me I'm doing something wrong. And when they do that, you know, like everything, we'll learn by it, we'll get it right and we'll, we'll move on to the next bit. But it's been, it's been a, a fascinating time and I, I guess I'm the sort of person that reacts the best when I'm under immense pressure. And I think all of us really at the moment are under immense pressure with the, with the responsibility. The only thing about this particular job is that uh, you move from sharing the pain, which you do within a partnership structure, to, to really residentially and being the head of a residential feeling that all eyes are on you. So I, I, I've learned to be a lot more careful in terms of how I deliver a message, you, you know, removing a certain amount of informality, but making sure that you're open. And actually, the feedback that I've had from from a lot of people that they that they really like is the style of being completely open and transparent. People, especially at the moment, need to have honesty and transparency, so they know exactly where they stand. They know 
where the partnership's going. They know that um, they're being looked after. They know that everybody is working for their best interests. And I think that we are doing that. So the communication, the thought planning, the processing that we are doing at the moment, um, it, it all helps play to being able to deliver on that. Thank you for being so honest and open and vulnerable about that. I think it's really important to recognise that no matter what stage of your career you're at, you can still struggle with those anxieties and be weighed down by those feelings of not thinking that you're good enough. And these things affect everybody and it's not limited to just people at the beginning of their career or people at certain levels. It's a universal problem that we all have to face. And going on from that, I'd be interested to find out what it is that you do to make sure that you're implementing work-life balance and keeping your brain as as sharp and on the ball as possible well i've I've started exercising i'm a bit sporadic on my on my fitness um i played tennis or i used to play tennis until we went into lockdown every monday night i do a couple of hours of that uh and i used to be an occasional well more than occasional but i used to run a bit but i but i i allow myself to fall out of habit and that's mainly because i've been commuting so i've got a sort of an hour and a quarter, hour and a half commute each way. Uh, so I get in very early. I get in at about 7, 7.15. Uh, and then I get home at about 8. And then you don't want to do any exercise. Being at home, I can get up at 6. And I've been disciplining myself to do a couple of runs during the week, in the morning. So I'm back here by about quarter to 7. I have a bottle of cereal, quick shower. And then I'm at my desk by quarter past 7. And then I do a long run uh, at the weekend. And, and that... I've really reminded myself of the balance of having uh, exercise with work pressure. And I think that I wouldn't have been as strong in terms of confidence or delivery had I not introduced that discipline throughout the lockdown. Um, so that that's how I do it. You know, I'm lucky that uh, I've got a wife who, who, as I said earlier on, constantly looks through the window and, and, and just sees me permanently on the phone for about 12 hours a day. And, and she probably thinks that that's particularly dull. Uh, I've got three kids who keep me on my toes uh, and they get me out. We've got two dogs. We've got a new dog as well, a puppy. So, you know, we've got to get out and uh, move around. So they're a really good leveler for me. Um, and I'm beginning to learn that actually for everybody, I, I think going into to COVID, and this is a really good reminder, which I'm going to take away, family is just as important. In fact, family and friends are more important than work. And you've got to remind yourself that sometimes I get it asked about face and I get it wrong. But but this time around, hopefully I'm trying to do the best of getting the balance right, you know, but with the condition that they have to know that I've, I've got myself into a whole new world with a new career, a, a new job. And they are doing their best to being accommodating about it. But it's not easy for them either. Something that's spoken about a lot is hustle culture and working as hard as humanly possible in the early stages of your career to, to climb the ladder and establish yourself within whichever industry you're in. But on the topic of work-life balance, do you think that that's something you've always been able to implement? Did you really value that at the beginning of your career? Or is that something that's developed over time and you've learned how to have that work time, downtime balance? No, I think it's something is you, you learn as you go through your career. Your mindset changes uh, as you evolve. And, you know, life is all about experiences. Um, I think that if I had my time again, um, I would have definitely gone to university. I, I think at times I always feel that I have a slight social imbalance with some of my mates because I didn't have that era of the three years of 
you know, continuing my education, learning new things. Uh, and, you know, I just went into mainstream employment at a very young age uh, and, I, and I missed that. I think that the expectation, you, you talk about that sort of, the expectations there, you've got to work hard and everything. I, I've always felt that there are, there are certain routes you can go down. If you, if, you, if you want to go down the route of banking or, or law, uh, or, or the medical industry, then there is going to be a path that is going to be a really hard graph, and you've got to be expected to do that. And some of the bigger firms really expect every ounce of you to be there 24-7. Uh, I think in our particular industry, we, we like to have it, but people are there to work as hard as they feel comfortable. As long as they're doing what we expect of them, the pressure isn't necessarily uh, as intense. So, so, so choose it, you know, choose it, but go in with your eyes wide open that different firms have different styles. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier on, before you accept a job or before you go into a job, make sure you've done your due diligence. Pick up the phone, call somebody up within the business of a young age, if you can get hold of their details and just say, look, I'm thinking of joining you. What's it like working at this firm? Uh, and, and, and like anything in life, always do due diligence on what you're about to do or what the decision you're about to make. That sounds like I'm preaching. No, no, not at all. I think it's actually really important <laughs> and really valuable to touch on that stuff and realise that there's no one way of being successful, but that you, you learn throughout your career and you grow as a person and that you don't wake up one day and immediately know exactly how to have that balance and know what to do and what not to do. It's not a linear trajectory and you get there over time. And diverting from that ever so slightly, this podcast is called At Home With. So I'd love to find out a little bit more about your home. So would you mind telling me what it was that made you fall in love with your home? Uh, well, we moved uh, in August last year and it was actually a house that we saw uh, five years ago uh, that I got too tight on in terms of raising my offer and I lost buying it by about £30,000. And we ended up moving into a more rural location. We had a we had a lovely house with a, in a beautiful setting, but it was just too rural for us, and we couldn't take to it. We've and this house came back on uh, privately. We got tipped off that the people were thinking of moving it. Who bought it when we should have bought it? And we came to have a glass of wine with them, and they were moving back to LA, and. Uh, we went around the house again and my wife and I and the kids left thinking we've got to get it this time. And uh, we moved in, as I said, last August. And it's a house that I reckon we'll be in for a very long time now because it, it's got everything we want. It's a lovely house. Um, yeah, I, I can now walk to the station to get into London. We can walk into uh, the local high street and we've got all of our mates around us which is great and because i do the sort of hours that i do my wife is a particularly social person uh and where we were she was rather cut off here she can she's she's got a whole new social network around her and a really interesting thing i've learned about covid with my wife is that um you know i, I i'm lucky that i can leave here and go into london uh and work and have my daily distractions being in the role that i am uh, she can't when we're in lockdown and she has really struggled with not having that 
connectivity with with her mates and her mates are very very important to her and was that emphasis on the more holistic side of buying a house the fact that you need to consider so many wide and far-reaching factors when making that decision was that something you've always emphasized with clients or is that something that's come later since you started looking for your own homes i i i do now i, I don't think i used to but i think nowadays a home is a home and most people are going to be in a home for a, for a long term and I think the advice that I give to people is, number one, go with your gut. Always go with your gut when it comes to property. If it's a house, when you first go around it, it makes you feel happy. Or if it's a house, when you first go around it, it fills you with excitement about the opportunity of it. Don't worry about the price. Honestly, don't worry about the price. Debt is so cheap. Uh, at the moment, you'll never have a better time to be able to borrow at such ridiculously low rates that the market, you can sustain it in terms of affordability and, and the market will always come back. And if your gut is right and if it's a home that makes you happy, that's all that counts. Get a survey done, I might add, because you don't want it to fall down, but, but go with your gut. And that's exactly what this house is. You know, we went with our gut. I was too tight the first time around. I lost it by £30,000. It was me being stupid. We regretted it every single day. It came back on. We're lucky enough. I spanked an absolute fortune on Stamp DC, which annoys me immensely. But that's my fault for making such a stupid mistake. But we are now in a house that uh, we all went with our gut and we love. And going on from that, I can imagine there's so many answers you could give to this question, but is there any particular experience with a client that you've had that really sticks in your mind and that you reflect on regularly? One does come, come to mind, and, and by complete coincidence, nothing to do with framing it around this podcast, uh, the person that I sold this house to sent me a text uh, last week, and he is the most wonderful wonderful man that i feel very close to and this is going back to a sale that i did over 20 years ago his name's nitin shah he was one of the creators of pepe jeans uh an indian guy he walked into the foxen's office in notting hill it was a saturday afternoon he was smoking this horrible weedy like cheroot he had a bobble hat on no one got up to go and welcome him in the office i did and he said i'm looking for a house to buy and back then it was about I think it was 750,000. And we had a house that was already under offer on Hillsley Road, which is close to Camden Hill Square. And it was owned by a very traditional English family. Uh, but I knew that it was an opportunity. And I said, look, I've got this one house. Why don't I pop around, pop around and see it? And we did. And this very diplomatic Indian took his bobble hat off and negotiated with me in front of this English family, a deal there and then that Saturday afternoon. Uh, I don't think the uh, family actually believed it was ever going to happen, but we did. And literally three or four days later, we did a tenders exchange. Um, and it was an incredible deal. It was the fastest deal I'd ever done. It was the most expensive deal I'd ever done at the time. And it, it, was, it was to uh, a man that has become a friend and advisor for life. Um, and... Uh, he did the most extraordinary job on the house, uh, turned it into this contemporary rock star type house that I was never expecting, but it is incredible. And uh, there we go. It's back to my original roots. Never judge a book by its cover. Never have an opinion. Uh, I didn't have an opinion about Nissen. Uh, I didn't have an opinion about what the vendors might say about him. Uh, the two came together. 
it was hard work, but it happened. Everybody was happy. And um, that's probably my best story, actually. And I think that's such an inspirational story because it really emphasizes the value of treating everybody equally and that you shouldn't judge a book by its cover and that no matter whether somebody comes in looking to expand their property portfolio or look for their first time home, both of those sets of people deserve the same amount of respect. And linking it back to Knight Frank and our ethos and values is that we do connect people and property perfectly. And that is because we make sure that every client and every customer is treated in the same way. So to begin to wrap up the episode, we're going to do a quick fire round to see how well you think on your feet before we conclude the episode. So the first question is London or country? Bit of both. Work for London, live in the country. Classic or contemporary? Oh, again, bit of both. Love a classic house. This is an Edwardian house, but I love a bit of contemporary in it. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Call or email? Call, definitely, 100%. Hyde Park or Regent's Park? Regent's Park Office or working from home? I would have always been the office but thanks to Covid uh, I have managed to get into the discipline and really enjoy working from home Tea or coffee? Uh, love a coffee uh, but it worries me a little bit that I drink too much so I've tried to balance it out with a cup of tea with dare I say it, half sugar <laughs> Swimming pool or tennis court? Oh wow uh, Tennis court Paris or New York? God, these are not easy because I like them both. Uh, so I've lived in Paris, loved Paris, loved the romance of Paris, loved the excitement of New York. And finally, sales or lettings? Oh, that's so unfair. <laughs> uh, I've got to go for lettings. I'll I, I tell you why. I, I would say probably 65 to 70% of my career has been within the lettings world. And the thing that I really loved about lettings is its pace, speed, uh, and delivery. Sales is a, is a slightly slower uh, process. Um, so lettings was the one that always did it for me. Amazing. So we wrap up every podcast with one final question. And that is, what does connecting people and property perfectly mean to you? I think... Uh, it's taking a bit of everything that we've discussed over the last however long we've been talking for an hour or so. It's it's taking, it's understanding and getting to know what people want, uh, what they expect, uh, working with uh, the research around us that I've talked about, uh, qualifying the really important things for the people that you are transacting with be it commercial or be it residential everybody has a certain list of requirements and those requirements have got to be compartmentalized to figure out what's the most important thing and that's the skill of uh, the agent to, to, to work that out um, and then putting that series of uh, questions into a box where it spits out the output which is the property whatever that property might be commercial residential and making sure that actually when that transaction takes place, you can look back and you think that was bang on. That's a perfect match. And that's connecting people with property perfectly in my mind. Amazing. Tim, thank you so much. Becky, thank you. Thanks so much for listening to our debut episode of At Home With. 
If you enjoyed this episode with Tim, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you share this episode on social media and please check out the show notes for more information. I'll be back next Wednesday with another exciting episode.